everyone, it's Nick Walters here with our webinar Wednesdays from the National Hemp Growers Cooperative and the uh, Industrial Hemp Growers Digest podcast. So whether you are watching us or listening to us, thanks for being here. We're glad to have you be a part of, of, of yet another great episode with another uh, uh, guest who has got a lot of knowledge and a lot of information uh, about a host of different things. Some of that, which happens to be about hemp, which makes it even better about part of that. So Russell Laird, welcome very much from the um, Hemp Leaders Coalition. And thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Nick. I look forward to the discussion. A absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, before we jump into your knowledge of the inner workings of Capitol Hill, and I'm assuming that watching sausage and legislation being made is still the same standard, right? That hasn't oh. been hadn't changed in a, since Teddy Roosevelt first said it, I think, right? Um, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, how you got to where you got to, some of your background, so our folks will uh, uh, know a little bit more about you. Sure, glad to. Uh, I have been in Washington for quite a while, but it's always funny when somebody asks me, where are you from? Uh, and it's a common question anybody gets when you first meet somebody. should be a simple question. But I always kind of cringe as that. It's kind of complicated because <laughs> I, I've been in Washington, I guess, starting to lose count, but, uh, you know, more than a couple of decades, somewhere around 25, I have to do the math, but around that ballpark in your way of 25 years. But if you might still hear an accent, you know, look, 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 kind of similar to Nick's accent, maybe, but maybe a little bit different. But uh, I'm never going to want to admit to being from Washington because I am from Texas. There you and go. If you've ever known any Texans, we're kind of proud of being from Texas. Most That's times. exactly right. So, uh, but I, but I am, you know, I have, you know, of course, proud of my uh, heritage and my uh, upbringing and what I learned from growing up in Texas uh, with my experiences there. But, but I'm glad to to uh, apply that to, to uh, Washington and hope I can bring some of that, uh, you know, kind of West Texas uh, common sense that I that I learned growing up to Washington, which is we we uh, there is. Plenty of room for more common sense, I think, in Washington. But so <clears throat> a lot of people that you meet in Washington, you know, lobbyists kind of can be a dirty word sometimes. And, and, and maybe for some good reasons. I mean, there's kind of good and bad people and everything. Uh, so there is some of those people. Maybe they kind of give it the bad reputation. But, but on the other side, there's a lot of good people. Uh, and a lot of lobbyists that you will meet kind of have a similar background pretty often that I like I do in that uh, went to work for our hometown congressman. I did, a lot of other people did as well. Went to work for your hometown congressman right out of college. And a lot of us kind of have a similar story that just wanted to do it for a year or two to have that experience, but not really live in Washington all your life. Right. And, and there's something called Potomac fever. I don't think I've ever really quite had that. A lot of people have. I, again, I don't want to admit to that. <laughs> Maybe it's, <laughs> it's the key. <clears throat> Excuse me. But... <clears throat> A lot of times that, that that experience on Capitol Hill does lead to other opportunities. It's kind of where the path of you know being a lobbyist you know comes from. And so that's kind of the path that, that I took. I went to work for my hometown town congressman. A lot of folks in agriculture know, know the name, you know, more so a few years ago, maybe not as much now today as it's kind of the years get on and kind of th things fade. But uh, uh, Larry Combest. Uh, especially folks, uh, you know, in, in Texas, where we're from, in Mississippi, where you're from, in the cotton industry, you don't, knew him pretty well because sure. cotton was our biggest crop uh, from where I come from. So 
uh, not the only crop and not the only thing we paid attention to, but, but the one we paid the most attention to. So a lot of folks in the cotton industry, again, like in Mississippi and places like that, know, know the name. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So went to work for, for Mr. Combest, uh, my hometown congressman. Uh, went to work in his personal office, and we can kind of get into some more uh, the, the details of kind of how D.C. works and some of that, but I'll just kind of move, keep moving kind of through on the theme of bio at this point. So his personal office uh, and handled a few different issues as a legislative assistant, uh, agriculture being at the top of my list, reflecting uh, working for our constituents uh, with the, it being such a strong agriculture area. Now. Sure. Most the kind of typical office on the House side has three legislative assistants, typical. And some might have, you know, that's not a hard and fast rule, but it's kind of more, more typical. And there's a lot of different uh, issues to break up uh, to, to spread around those, those, those three different uh, legislative assistants. So agriculture wasn't the only thing that I did. Uh, we split a you know, few issues up among us and, and also in my portfolio most of the time was international trade and environment, as well as a few other kind of more smaller issues. But, but those being the major issues, and, and it kind of, kind of made some sense because those kind of fit together. Ag, and trade, trade environment, and environment, you know, trade and environment are important things in agriculture. So those kind of fit together. So <clears throat> spent a few years in his personal office, and he was always on, on the agriculture committee because, as I said, agriculture is so important in our area. And him, you know, with him being a member of the agriculture committee, uh, there is a, each committee has a, a big number of committee staff, the staffers who work directly for the committee. So after a few years on his personal office, I moved to the committee staff. And that kind of coincided with him moving up in leadership on the agriculture committee to become a subcommittee chairman. So mm -hmm. I was the staffer uh, handling his work on the subcommittee that he was a chairman of. Now, later then, he moved to become the full committee chairman of the House Agriculture Committee. And so I moved uh, on up to the step of the full committee staff. So <clears throat> several years there on, on Capitol Hill, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, and from there, I won't go through every step of my whole career, but I'll just kind of shorten at this point. Okay. Uh, just, just say that, you know, a, a couple other different um, uh, type of uh, roles in, in mostly related to agriculture and food lobbying, which you can kind of go into some more. I might kind of throw it in as some other discussions, but kind of wrapping it up, though, uh, <clears throat> kind of the, the summary there. In the more recent years, uh, was at USDA, and, and I'm kind of skipping around, but let, let me go ahead and mention, too, something kind of important for me is that a lot of my friends, like like I did, went to work in Washington right out of college and lived there their whole life. And I'm not going to say there's anything wrong with that at all. I kind of felt fortunate that I escaped for a while, okay? Mm -hmm. right. uh, and I moved out of Washington for a while, moved back in Texas, and worked not just in Texas, but in several states because I worked in the cotton industry, as we mentioned. And now we're going to fast forward to hemp in a little bit. And some of that experience in cotton has been pretty interesting as we're working in, in hemp. With some of the similarities there so kind of on the time frame there a few years back in the cotton industry then back in washington kind of trying to wrap it up though so again some recent experience at usda before uh, kind of moving into kind of what we've been doing lately on him and now at usda <clears throat> so no matter if, if you love or hate our former president uh, and, and there's kind of some strong opinions on both ways with president trump uh, everybody's kind of aware that there was a lot of turnover among staff. Right. So I didn't work as a political appointee for President Trump for a short time, not as long as honestly I, I'd hoped that it might be. But again, there was some turnover. I was one. It wasn't just 
something really personal with me, but I was one of several people at USDA that decided not to keep on in long-term positions. So it's kind gotcha. of unfortunate. It's water under the bridge at this point. But so after that experience, then is when I started working in hemp. In the last few years, you know, it's, it's been an interesting ride. So uh, after it was legalized in the, in the farm bill, we can talk a little bit maybe about more about farm bills and my experience in different farm bills. Yes. But the 2018 farm bill, we all know, fully legalized him, you know, 2014 had pilot programs, and we all in the industry kind of know that, 2018, full legalization. <clears throat> so since then, I've been doing a lot of work in him. So shortly after the full legalization, I spent some time working with another hip organization, working to help develop that organization and move it along. Fairly recently, a little less than a year, I decided to kind of go a new direction. And as you mentioned earlier, the Hemp Leaders Coalition is, is what I decided to do uh, on my own, leading that, not just all by myself as a Lone Ranger, but sure. partnering up with a very good law firm that's based in Washington. So we put on a really good meeting that we worked real hard on just a few months ago in June. It was well attended, and, and the agenda is still on our website at hempleaders.org. So did that, and now at this point, and we all know the industry is is uh, pretty fluid and moving around, and we're trying to figure out kind of what where we go from here. I guess is uh, is kind of where the current status we are at this point. You know, so glad Absolutely. to be working with you in the hemp co-op. And well, thank you. You know, the uh, uh, well, most of the folks who uh, that at least a lot of the people I know that have been on Capitol Hill have a great long-term just their own personal career by going in and out of government uh, and and to get back into the private sector and remember what it's like to be in the private sector, particularly when you get back into government, maybe at a different level or at a different time or a different place. And so it brings great perspective, right, uh, as kind of the way things move and the way things go and really understanding all the different dynamics of, of you a member of Congress is not a single issue member, right? right? She, he's got a bunch of different things that they got to think about all at the same time. They have some that might get more of their attention or their, if, I, if I'm saying this correctly, some things get more of their attention based off of their committee assignments because they actually have a quote unquote job to do with that committee as compared to, so you could be on the ag committee all day long and do the things that you need to do on the ag committee that are, are issues that are coming through, but you still might have some real, as a member, I'm saying, of Congress, you still may have some burning thing that you're really concerned about, you know, uh, uh, the environment uh, uh, as it relates to, you know, oceans or something like that, or something that's going on in, in uh, foreign policy and other things that you may say, Hey, look, I'm interested in these other things, too, but I am a member of this committee and there is a bill coming up that we're having hearings on. And there's only so much of me that I can, you know, so I got to put my energy and effort towards the things that I'm responsible for doing. And, and, and that is being a member of that committee to go vote on policy or other things. Is that kind of right, or did it, I? It, it is, and, and, and Nick, a little bit of uh, I'll kind of share with everybody listening a little bit of your background, why you know a little bit about this, because uh, you know you, you were a political appointee as, as well in the, in the Bush administration, the USDA, not based in Washington, but I know your experience. You know how to ask these questions. You know a little bit about it, and so yeah, absolutely, you're right. You're out of the right direction on that. So you know, basically, just to try to kind of make it as simple as possible, we all kind of should understand that if a member of Congress 
they're ultimately accountable to the voters in their district. So if they want to get reelected, most of them do until they decide to retire and hang it up, uh, they better serve their constituents. And so there's some similarities in different uh, parts of the country with different congressional districts, but they're all pretty much unique. And, you know, I remember early on, uh, it kind of had this 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 uh, time when the light bulb went, went off of, you know, seeing members of Congress from other parts of the area and thought they're just so out there. There's these crazy ideas and I got got Washington and it kind of hit me at some point. Well, that's because they represent their constituents <laughs> who are as crazy as they are, you know, to some of our perspective. But, right. you know, we all have different perspectives from just different parts of the country, basically. So, you know, member of Congress from, from the very urban area or, a, or you know, we could probably try a different thousand different examples. A member of Congress who has represents a military base, you know, they're going to focus on what's most important for their district. And now, uh, of course, their, their committee assignments should, should pretty much reflect that uh, because, you know, they uh, kind of how the committee assignment process works. Um, <clears throat> You know, kind of like most everything works in Washington, roughly. Uh, and there's some been some things that have kind of changed over the last several years, but 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 seniority seniority still kind of rules. I mean, it's still kind of kind of because in the right. years past it ruled more than it has lately. They've kind of made some changes, particularly like for, uh, for instance the committee chairman. There's term limits on those. Uh, in in the past, it was not those term limits, and oh, seniority yeah. ruled, and somebody could keep that for a long, long time. But still, seniority is very important. So again, committee assignments. Uh, it all goes along with senior seniority. So some brand new member of Congress as a freshman might not get their first pick on committee assignments. OK, but they still they still get a say. I mean, they're still going to be asked, what are you interested in? And, you know, they'll try to give them their, their first pick if they can. But if you know, there's it's just kind of like any process works. If, if there's more people that want to be on the committee than their spots and they're going to have to choose some. And some folks might not get what they choose, but those preferences that, that they uh, express to the leadership should reflect the priorities of their district. Right, right, right. So that that then makes it interesting when you because the ag committee, let's talk about the committee just a minute about that. And I know this when we just say we're, we're using Congress as a big um a broad definition instead of getting into the House and to the Senate. So let's just kind of call it a congressional committee, meaning it meaning in, in that sense. But, you know, so many folks might not automatically think about the jurisdiction of the committee itself, the Ag Committee, and think it is about farming when it's so many other things that, that, that agriculture does. So you could be from a very urban district and your focus might be on the nutrition components or it might be on, um, you know, how the FDA, you know, regulates, you know, uh, foods and, and, and things in that sense of it. Right. So even the diversity from within the committee itself, it doesn't always mean that the people who are most likely to are always let me say it this way, the people who are always who are often on the committee most of them probably are from more rural areas just because they represent more agriculture. But that doesn't mean that somebody from downtown Chicago or somebody from, you know, in the middle of Los Angeles won't find themselves on the Ag Committee primarily because of some of the other jurisdictions that they that fall underneath it. Is that kind of right? It, it, it is. And it's, it's, a, it's a good point. And uh, so in, in the committee jurisdiction, is, it, it can get pretty, pretty complicated when you go through some of it. But basically, it reflects 
uh, you know, what, what it reflects kind of, kind of more than, than issue areas per se, it reflects different parts of the federal government executive branch, okay? So uh, the, the, the Agriculture Committee and the House and Senate both have jurisdiction over everything at USDA, okay? So, so again, that, that means you know, agriculture, forestry, but again, instead of breaking it down, sometimes it makes more sense instead of breaking it down by issues, breaking it down by departments over there, you know, okay. on, the other side, on the other, in the other parts of town in Washington, you know, the federal departments. So there's that. So, and then and, and again, we could go for a lot of tangents here, but, but I'll keep it kind of, try to keep it pretty simple, but just make kind of one example of that, uh, the, uh, kind of the, 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 the complication of it anyway. <clears throat> so, uh, yes, uh, two, two things. First, on your point, yes, that uh, sometimes there are members from urban areas on the Ag Committee that their focus is on the, the, the USDA, you know, we used to call food stamps, because it used to be actually stamps. Now, the more right. modern name is EBT, or not, right. not, or SNAP. Uh, EBT is electronic business transfer, transfer. Instead of food stamps, it's more of like a modern-day credit card. It's called EBT. Right. But SNAP, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, is the kind of new name for the you know old food stamp. Anyway that uh, feeding program now and again for the sh short time i was at usda uh it was a really important time that I did serve and really enjoyed and glad to have this experience on the transition team okay and so the transition team <clears throat> is basically b between the election and the inauguration what's that about a month and a couple months period november and yeah unless yeah. it's yeah. bush v gore and then it's three weeks but other than that right well exactly <laughs> right. but neither <laughs> what but yes let's just call it two months let's call it it should be two months but point being with that that uh during that time we there was a, just a, a team of a, a few of us about a handful and we kind of looked at everything across the department okay so i kind of learned, learned more in that short time period than a lot of times uh, but anyway, the point I'm getting to was uh, at that point, I really saw some of the overall picture of USDA of the budget. And I'd already kind of known this, but I've forgotten from my experience. Because when I was at committee staff, I mean, you have jurisdiction and you kind of manage, you know, everything at USDA. So you see a lot of things. But anyway, having that overall picture reminded me of how much of the budget, and I've forgotten, it's been a few years. But the point being that the, the biggest majority of USDA's budget is to those feeding programs to those mm -hmm. called, you know, welfare programs, you know, old food stamps and so forth. So uh, if you just look at the money, uh, you know, there's a lot more money devoted to those feeding programs than there is to, to farm programs. But then kind of getting back to members of Congress serving their districts, a lot of people, you know, members of Congress that have farming in, in their districts. That's, you know, very important for the jobs it provides and, and to keep, you know, keep agriculture strong to, to move forward. So anyway, so what I almost forgot the other point though, about the complication, especially kind of this, Kind of fits in the hip industry right now <clears throat> so usda is farming and food and so forth but then fda the f is food food and u.s food and drug administration so it's food right. as well so there's kind of some ways usda and fda have to work together but again it gets, gets a little complicated on capitol hill because the ag committee has jurisdiction over usda the ag committee doesn't have jurisdiction over FDA. That's the the Energy and Commerce Committee in the House and the Senate side. I forgot. I'll talk about exactly when it's split up, but similar anyway. But now, okay. So then, you know, the Ag Committee, and we can get into the, it being an authorizing committee, and then the other ones being the Appropriations Committee. But the authorizing, it writes how things are supposed to work. The, the, the Appropriations Committee gives money, basically, real short. Right. But point being, on, on the House side, and again, uh, House, I want to know the best. 
but it probably similar to the Senate, I forget, but on the House side, uh, the, the House, we call it the Agapropes, the short name, Agapropes, House Agapropes. Well, it, there's a longer name, but the, that committee that funds USDA also funds FDA. So you've got the House Ag Committee that, that, does, US, that, that, that does USDA, but doesn't do FDA. And then the House Energy and Commerce Committee does FDA you know, on the authorizing side. But then when it comes together for the appropriations side, they're together. So that complicates things. <laughs> Or it could help, right? It depending on what your what your point may be. So what you're saying is, there is the thing that you would call an authorizing committee that is making the rules and the regs. And let's just say the White House says, "Hey, we really want to do a really great hemp program, and we really think it's important, and we want there to be X more dollars in hemp research." Let's just use that as an example. Well, the authority to let USDA do that would have to go through the USDA authorizing, I mean, would have to go through the Ag Committee to authorize that new program. But simultaneously, also working its own trail is what has to go on at the Agriculture Appropriations Subcommittee as the start spot that would say, okay, now here's the money for you to go do this program. Because there were plenty of times, right, where the authorizing committee on a, a myriad of subjects might say, yes, we're going to do this. But the Ag Appropriations Subcommittee, which is where all appropriations start, right, at the subcommittee level on the House side for all the federal government, right? And so they, though, might not give them the money that they ask for. So you might have the okay or the authority to do it. But if you don't have the Ag Approach people telling you, yeah, we're going to give you the money to implement the program, you know, you, you could be at odds or, could, or the program could go nowhere, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it, 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 all, it all depends on each individual issue. Everything's, you know, kind of complicated. There's no exact way things are done, but your scenario you laid out exactly can happen. And there's, you know, there's been countless examples when it has happened probably. But, you know, yeah, the, the Ag Committee can pass something authorizing it. Then, then the appropriators, and sometimes there's kind of jurist, there's fights between members of Congress. Not, not literally, you know, that, that happens in a while, some country. But <laughs> but so, sometimes, you know, disagreements uh, among the, the authorizing committee and the appropriations committee, because something can pass in the farm bill, and the authorizing committee say that they authorize that, you know, give permission, create the program. The authorizers say, uh, the, uh, the appropriations committee, sorry, says, hey, that's me, guys. Here, you got zero, zero dollars to do it. So, Knock yourself out. Unless you yeah, can figure and, out how to you know, do it. And, and kind, of, funds, forget kind of get closer back to the hemp industry and yeah. you know, kind of keeping this simple. No, we're not going to talk all for hours today, but getting to a point, though. Uh, <clears throat> so everybody's probably heard, you know, the, the Farm Bill when it passed in 2018 uh, legalized hemp, but then we got these issues with FDA, and, and everybody might have heard mentioned time or two before that uh, the, the Farm Bill left the left the, the jurisdiction in FDA to regulate CBD. Right. And so, so that's still there. So, so, so the Farm Bill did not force FDA to regulate it. And there's a lot of issues, you know, to, to work through on that, I, I guess, is the bottom line. So. Yeah, yeah. But but that's uh, let's just let's talk about this um, as well, too. Let's talk about what it, we use the term farm bill. Right. And that that comes that is not just a term for what happened in 2018. There are farm bills that continue to happen. Right. Uh, and so um, what what does that mean? 
what is a farm? What is the farm bill? Uh, and and you do the farm bill based off of the year because there are multiple farm bills, correct? So how does all that come together? How do, why how why is it that it is lumped up into these big chunks of time in between farm bills that way instead of a annual farm bill? Oh God, that's an awful thought. So, so we're supposed to do annual appropriations bills, and they've got to be real mess because a lot of times they don't get done. Years ago, when I worked on Capitol Hill, I, I, I've talked to friends a lot the last few years, like, "What's going on, lady?" Because it's gotten to be such a mess. Back years ago, we actually did like we we're supposed to every year. I forget exactly the number that kind of changed as this committee's been reorganized, but roughly a dozen, we'll call it different appropriations bills are supposed to be done every year. But a lot of times they got lumped together in huge monstrosities of like five together at a time. And, and everybody's heard about CRs, continuing resolutions, all that. Right. Anyway, that appropriations is a mess trying to do it every year. <laughs> so, yes, we're kind of grateful that we don't have to do it every year for the, for the farm bill. Uh, and, and it's roughly ever five years. <clears throat> okay, I say roughly because in the, in the history, I think at one point we did it for seven to try to give us a little more time. And also, okay, roughly five, because, you know, at the end of that five years, if, if it's not redone, do you fall off a cliff? Well, you kind of can. There's always kind of a debate about that, but you usually don't. <laughs> so uh, so basically, the farm bill is, a, again, the authorization to give permission to the Department of Agriculture to operate, basically give them legal authority, it, you know. So, again, it's usually done for about five years just because it, it's such a big uh, 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 so much work to get all through the debate to get that done. You, you, it'd be hard to imagine doing it every year. Uh, so you kind of need some time and you need some time to, you know, have the program in place to kind of see how it works over a few years instead of just trying to change it you know, immediately. But yeah, so again, it, it, uh, everything, all the illegal authority that USDA has uh, is in, contained in that bill. And so basically, after five years, that legal authority expires. And again, I mentioned you're not going to fall off a cliff. That's always kind of a debate, too. <clears throat> and this could be a, another hour talk just on this subject <laughs> with, with, the, with the lawyer that we get you way into the weeds. And I'll kind of try to keep it simple. There's something it's all a debate from time to time. You hear up and I forget it's the 1949 law, I think, or it might be the 42 law, whatever. There's always this thing that's always a threat. If you don't get the farm bill done, we'll revert to that old law. So that's kind of the base law that if the, the current law expires, you're going to go back to that old legal authority. And, mm. and because of that, there's all these old archaic programs that you know, like some farmers sometimes say, hey, it might not be too bad because it's some of the, the programs are based on some old prices that might pay farmers huge amounts for some of the different uh, farm support programs. So that's kind of always just a, 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 some drama that comes up that you work through. And but two, uh, pretty often has happened over the last you know decade or two or three, whatever, that it, if it's not done in time, you don't quite fall off that cliff. A lot of times there's been extensions done. There's been a time to you to extend it for another year as as is to kind of give you more time to get the debate done, continue debating. If you just aren't able to quite quite, quite get it together and to get, to get it done, you know. All right. So cool. All right, let's let's do this and we'll and we'll 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 let you get back to your to your uh, regularly scheduled program of your life. Okay. Instead of hanging out with us, talking all super interesting. Don't hear me say that. Yeah. By the way, if we got anybody. Um, who would like to uh, pose a question uh, that is here as well? Make sure you do that, and, and we'll we'll get to your questions. So let's let's talk a little bit about um, as it relates to hemp and the next upcoming farm bill, right? So what happens then is 
let's just use that as an example. These were the things when the 2018 farm bill was coming through that seemed to make the most sense about I all assumed was going to be the thing to do right or wrong for him. Now we get into the middle of it, and Delta 8 is just an example of that, right? And we get into the middle of it, and now we go, oh, whoa, 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 now. We, we don't know about that, or we really know about this, or we need to tweak that a little bit, or here's something that's going to be way more helpful. And now here in 2023, 2024, as we're going through the getting ready for the next farm bill, you start to kind of find allies that are going to be there to – support whatever it is change that you think needs to be make, making and, and enabling legislation. So if that's correct, and that's just kind of the way that that works, then put your old staffer hat on for a second and, and talk about what it's like when somebody comes in and says to you, we would like to see this, this, or that done. How do you know who the we is? Okay, I mean, how, how do you know? I mean, if you're the Cotton Council, or you're the soybean folks, or you are the Cattlemen's Association, or your Farm Bureau, that's a well enough established, obviously deep and wide organization that you're going to hear and understand where they're coming from. For the hemp industry, though, there's so many us's, right? And so many we's out there that say, we think this ought to happen. And there's just, it just seems to me like it's a huge gap that sure. there's not an us that says we represent all these different things, uh, uh, you know, all this, uh, we represent industrial hemp. And part of the problem is, is because the plant will do so many doggone things that the CBD folks really don't have the same interest necessarily as the fiber folks do, or even maybe as the grain folks do. So what's the answer to all of that? I mean, uh, uh, do you have an answer? And is is that right that until we kind of as an industry, quote unquote, kind of get our act together with a single voice to be able to say we represent him, we, we might be at a disadvantage going into the next farm bill. Well, no doubt a disadvantage, Nick. And I think you did a good job of kind of setting it up. I mean, the basic answer is it's complicated and it's messy. <laughs> right. uh, but but, you know, uh, it, 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 but I'll say this, that. The, the, uh, not to pat myself on the back, but, but I enjoyed my time as a staffer and learned a lot from it. And I'll say one of the things that, that you enjoy as a staffer is the other folks you work around. I mean, it's kind of like sure. the college all-stars. I mean, there's a lot of sharp people that go to work. And, and you know, and, uh, like I said, it's it, not, not that every one of them is. You, you got some dunces among the crowd, but, but most of them are you know, really sharp people that, that, are, and that, that work. They're working hard, working late hours, you know, working a lot of hours. Uh, and, and doing their best to really, you know, do the do the best they can to, to as we talk about, represent their constituents back home, and are able to kind of deal with technical issues. A lot of them are kind of young, so so you know we're all we were all young, and so we're, we're all have a lot to, to learn. But but I, I think that most of them really take their job serious and really study hard at trying to learn the technicalities of issues. But as you said, you're at a disadvantage, though, if you if you're coming to a staffer from from an industry perspective, from many different angles, with many different stories, it just makes it the job, the staffer's job harder to sort through that. Mm. Uh, if you got, you know, so many different things coming at you from different directions. Uh, <clears throat> but again, these staffers, uh, they are sharp people, they're hardworking people and they're not robots. I mean, they're able to think. 
So they, right. they can think through some of that. But the, if you want to, you know, the best lobbyist uh, to get, they're able to accomplish things, the, the, the best way to, to really do that is to make that staffer and ultimately that member of Congress the, that they work for, make their job as easy as possible to do what you want them to do. And a lot of times that means, especially like myself as a former staffer, you know what they need to do and you know what kind of work they need to do. Now, ultimately, the member of con- the staffer does the work and the member of Congress is ultimately the one that votes and is held accountable. But any of that work you can kind of do for them to kind of give them suggested language, you know, write a suggested bill, that, that doesn't mean that, you know, that, that you hear some dirty stories about lobbyists gave it to them. And, and you know, and there, there is some of that. But ultimately, the member of Congress is responsible. Anything you can do for them to help them do their work helps them right. help you. <laughs> right. So don't go out and say, y'all need to change this. That's not helping anybody. When you go up and say, look, line six of this language, that if this definition is really messing us up and here's why. And so we suggest that instead of it saying ABC, we believe it ought to say XYZ. Or it ought to just say A and B and leave off the C and add the D or whatever it is. And, and here is why that's important. And, and, and any, any government folks I've been around legislatively, and this is just my very limited experience, though, they also appreciate to say, look, now you need to know that when you drop C out of A, B, and D, this is what the other side's going to say. Okay? say They're going to say this and this is a problem. But here's an answer of what what the answer back to that is. Yes, but comma, you've done these other things. It's going to make it even way more worse. Staffers and members of Congress have a thousand things coming at them every day. And so the last thing they need is more surprises. And, you know, they appreciate you guiding them through, just like you talked about, Dick, of letting them know where the surprises are going to come. And, you know, and you don't want to, you know, undercut yourself and say, yeah, we're wrong. These, these guys, we're going to hurt, hurt these guys. And so, you, you know, but you want them to kind of understand the whole lay of the land. Right, hey, right. By the way, you saw a question that came in on the chat. Yes, so, yeah, I want to make sure we saw that. Michael uh, asked a great question, which is, tell us about checkoffs first. What is a checkoff program? And do you uh, happen to have any insight uh, about a checkoff program for him? Great well, question. Well, sure. Yeah, and, and so appreciate the, the, the question is an important question because that could be something long term that could be really helpful for him as it has been, you know, for, for other industries. And it's, and it's not something that, 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 that doesn't come with some controversy from time to time because there has been some controversies, you know, in other industries. But uh, I'll say this, that that's, that's a program that, that, that it takes a lot of work to, to organize and to get together. There's been some work that, that has, has gone on to try to move forward uh, with that. Uh, I don't think we're anywhere close, I guess, is the bottom line. So the prior organization that I worked with you know, did spend some efforts on that. As I mentioned, the, the Hemp Leaders Coalition, the meeting we put together was back in June. Uh, and again, is the, the agenda and going to wrap up summary is all still written on our website. You can find hempleaders.org. It okay. kind of goes through some of that. We had a couple of speakers on that checkoff and and uh, interesting perspective because uh, one of the speakers had some direct experience years ago with a soybean checkoff. So it was able to give us a great perspective on that. So I guess, again, the bottom line is that long term, that could be helpful. And, and I hope that long term we'll get there. But there's still a lot of work to, get, to do between now and then. So I guess I didn't start with answering the question, what is a checkoff? Right. So, Checkoff. I mean, so the, where did that name come from? Uh, okay, it, it basically is you check off a dollar or whatever the amount will be, but let's keep it simple. You know, any time you sell a, a bell of cotton, a bushel of corn, whatever unit of commodity, 
Uh, you check one, again, dollar or whatever, the, and each amount varies for each different commodity, but take part of that for each unit sold and put it into a fund that is collectively used to assist the industry. And there's some, you know, you, you can't just do it for anything you want to do. There's some, some you know, guidelines of what it's to be used, but, but roughly it, it is meant to be used for research, education, and promotion. And who gets that money? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> It all depends on kind of who organized the checkoff program uh, uh, for okay. each different commodity. And again, and it's, 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 it's organized and it has to be approved because it's kind of like a, a, a self-imposed tax for the grower. Because again, if you're a cotton grower selling a, a, a bell of cotton, you know, help, uh, you know, again, another question we're going to get through to organize this, what unit of, uh, <laughs> off the top of my head, maybe I should know this, you know, you're not selling a, a bell of hemp, you know, it is billed in the field. We got to figure that out. Right. Right. Is it a bushel of corn, a bell of cotton? So whatever unit of hemp, when it's sold, how much of that should go to that fund? And, you know, again, that fund has to be organized by somebody, and, and it has to go through USDA process to put a vote out to the, to, to the producers uh, that if, if you're going to tax everyone, that has to be a uh, the, the, most of the producers, and if you get it exactly a majority, it's really, really complicated, but it basically has to vote, go through to support, to, to set it up. So um, they're, they're subject to audit from time to time. As, again, as I mentioned, some controversy. Sometimes some producers can be upset if, they, uh, if, they're, if they're putting money, they're being you know, basically forced to put money into this fund, and they don't like how it's being organized. Now, all the producers that put money into the fund, Kind of similar to, the, to a co-op that, you know, that you're organizing, Nick, you know, uh, that they, they have a say because of the, each each producer that, that that is producing something that has to put some money into the fund can vote for the board of directors of the fund, of the cooperative, who ultimately make those decisions. Again, they're, they're, they're subject to audit from time to time with USDA to see how they're spending the money. So it's, it's, it's very regulated. So let's just let's just use it as a, a, a quick example on this and we'll, and, we'll, and we'll wrap up. But but let's just say let, let's just say the corn growers. OK, let's just use them as a. So if uh, with the checkoff program for corn growers, that says to me, as if I go and produce and I'm going to go raise corn okay, and I'm going to grow it. Am I forced to participate in the checkoff program or is it a voluntary thing or does all of that just depends on whether I choose to participate or not, or does that all depend on how it was how it was derived, how it was set up the first time? Is that well, kind of right or no? Yeah, so so I'm not an expert on checkoff. I don't hope okay. I get out of bounds here. So, so, so I'll just make that big caveat. I'm, I'm doing this kind of from memory of uh, over the years being somewhat familiar with checkoffs, but but I'm pretty sure that I'm right. Okay, that part part of the part of the rub. And part of the reason that it's so important that it be done right, because, again, I, I think the answer is that all producers, if you're producing and selling it somewhere, then whatever you're selling that unit, you know, that bell of cotton, that whatever unit of hemp, uh, it, part of it has to go into that checkoff. So, again, that's why it's important. It has, that's, why, that's why it goes to a vote for all the producers uh, that ha have to approve it and has to be, you know, it has to pass like uh, any other thing has to pass just to have a majority or it, it, it may, I don't think two thirds, forget exactly, exactly the majority, whatever. Uh, we right. have to get into the details. But basically, the, 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 the people who are going to be taxed have to approve it by the vote. 
So gotcha, gotcha. It seems like we fought a revolutionary war over taxation without representation. So I guess that kind of still holds up, right? And maybe that's that's still around. So exactly. hey, look, Russell Laird. Uh, thank you so much uh, with the Hemp Leaders Coalition for joining us today on our Industrial Hemp Growers Digest. Uh, yet again, we hear good information from good people who know good stuff. And uh, uh, you have not let us down, Russell. So thank you very much for that opportunity to do uh, spend some time with us today. So next week, uh, we will have our monthly legal update with the Cannabis Law Group uh, from the Bradley uh, law firm and one of their uh, principals in that group, Whit Steinecker, will be with us and talking about um, legal issues as it relates to uh, building materials in particular and, and what that looks like for the future of him. So, uh, Russell, give us the uh, contact information one more time for you if anybody would like to reach out and speak more to you or learn more about uh, about your group. Well, gladly. Uh, the easiest way to do it is hempleaders.org, hempleaders.org. And my phone number and, and email is, is on there. You'll see in the contact page. And again, as I mentioned, some information about the meeting we put together, the agenda and the wrap up, this kind of some interesting information that folks might have benefited from as well. But be glad to follow up with anyone that has additional questions about some of the things we've rambled on about because it does get a little complicated <laughs> when you're with the sausage making, as you, as you mentioned, uh, Nick. That's all right. Hey. Thanks so much uh, for your time, and I hope uh, everybody will join us again. Thanks. Thank you. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.